Have you heard of the curse of the four-colour monster? I have not. It is said that over five years ago, two men, a father and son named Andrew and Michael Leyland, wandered across the Yorkshire Moors on a shortcut. They did this despite advice to the contrary. On their way, they were beset by tribulations, not least an attack by beings from the four-colour dimension. That's terrible! It gets worse. Torn and rendered of flesh as they were, they nevertheless survived, only to find they had a compulsion, a grave condition that meant they were condemned to discuss comic books with all who would listen. And was that many? Not really, but the condition was all-consuming. Some say that even today, their witless ramblings can be heard, if one chooses to listen. Is there no cure? They both believe a cure may be found, but until that day... They are doomed to wander the internet radio wilderness, planning their ad-libs and discussing arcane comic book lore. This is their gift. This is their curse. The curse of Hey Kids Comics. Mwah. Hey Kids Comics! Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And we're back. We are. With part two. Like we never left. Uh, it's, it's it's exactly like we've not gone anywhere. It's, it's weird like, that, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's like we've sat in exactly the same place, <laughs> made a drink of tea, years. made a cup of tea, and then sat down and recorded part two. Yeah. It's weird how that works, though, it's, isn't it? Yeah. It's very very strange. How that uh, how that pans out. Yeah. With part two of um, our coverage of Infinite Crisis, last week's episode went on for far too long. Did it? Yeah, it's two hours, dude. It didn't feel like it when recording. It did not, no. It was an interesting chat. It's been quite an enjoying session. But I think, I've, uh, you know, in all honesty, mm. I think even if you have not been going away, there would have been a radical rethink of how we did the show. Yeah. Because that weekly format was starting to really grind on me. Now that we're out of it, yeah, it's, it's weird not having anything to do on a Thursday, but it's also... We're, we're not waiting for the next episode. Yeah, and we're not having to come up with something to do every episode, and I'm not having to edit every weekend. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say that we spent five years every week working for the show. But well, we did. Yeah, but when you think about it, that is essentially yeah. what we did. And uh, it, it was starting to become, certainly for me, it was starting to become, I have to get this done, not I want to get this done. Yeah. And it does start becoming that bone of contention with you that you haven't missed a week, so now you can't miss a week. Mm. And I think I was Which is at, good, because we can brag about it, but we yeah, can brag about it now we're not doing it. Now we're it. not doing it anymore. But mm. at, uh, certainly, at the point that we finished, I was at the point where I was like, we would be taking a couple of weeks off. When is that not a, a really bad thing, though, when you're creating your own burden? <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's another thing as well. I never wanted it to become a burden. Mm. And I think that we would have had to take some kind of break yeah. if we weren't finished. If we were just carrying on, you'd not gone away or whatever, we'd have probably had summer off. Right. And then we probably would have come back with a bi-weekly or even monthly. A new farmer. New farmer, yeah. We wouldn't have carried on being weekly, whatever happened. Yeah. Because uh, that... When people, there's an email here, when, one, when people ask for my advice for the podcast, right. first thing I say to him after, decide what your format is, decide what makes you different, and sort out all the technical stuff, mm. my next piece of advice is always, don't do a weekly show, <laughs> because it just becomes all-consuming. Unless you're only covering like one comic, and it's a 30-minute episode yeah. every week. We could probably carry on doing that. What we started off doing. Yeah, but at the level that we got to... 
there's no way we could have carried on doing that. Yeah, I'd say we made it more interesting for ourselves. We made it more backbreaking. Yeah. Than uh, than anything else. Uh, we have had a couple of emails, right? Which is always nice. Uh, as I said in the November fifth special, because it's now December. <laughs> as I said in the November fifth special, we still like to receive your emails. We still like reading them, and we will still cover them on the show. We will when we do these kind of things. Uh, this is from Michael Lane, fitting in with the you have to be called Michael to listen to and work on the show. Right. Okay. Hello, your podcast has been one of my favourites over the years. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I'm sorry to see you go, but we won't go away, will we? We (laughs) But I wish Michael the best in school. As a father myself, I understand that the real world is ultimately more important than our funny book hobby. I'm still very thankful to have gotten so many years of entertainment for free from you both. I I, I love that. Like uh, uh, more important things than funny book hobby. My my important thing is my funny book hobby. (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. So uh, then, then Michael goes on to talk about he's set up his own podcast and advice and criticism and such. I'm always a bit loath to give people advice and criticism, but it doesn't stop me. <laughs> so I did it anyway. But um, Michael's podcast is The Golden Age of Comics, and he said it's available at comicsinthegoldenage.bandcamp.com. It's one time at Bandcamp. <laughs> so let's hope that Michael's not getting up to any of that stuff. But if you want to go and check out that podcast... Uh, I would heartily encourage you to do so, because we're, we're happy to promote anyone's show, aren't we? Yep. Always happy to do that. Neil Stanifer has emailed in, Podcasters in Cars Talking Comics, which is a brilliant title for a show. Yeah. I think it's up there with, you know why no one's ever done this? Dirty Reads Bought Dirt Cheap. Right. Okay. That is still my favourite title of a podcast that I will never do. Right. It's brilliant. Come on, Dirty Reads. Bought dirt cheap. What what would they be though if it's a dirty read? Uh, and in this latest wank mag. No, it would just be it would just be comics that I got. What were my feelings on this number uh, this page three girl? <laughs> uh, she made me confused and aroused. What is my feeling on Playboy not publishing nudes anymore? What? Well, I have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that why they've done it? I don't know why they've done it. What are they gonna like do? What is Playboy? What do you think of when you think of Playboy? Pom nudes. For Mormons. <laughs> I think right. I don't. I don't know. I don't know whether it's going to boost the circulation or reduce the circulation or what. Whether it's going to be like zoo, right? Or nuts because they're now having to put them behind those cardboard things. Yeah. So whether by not putting nudes in it, the the, the circulation of the magazine won't be on top shelf anymore. So maybe they're hoping more people will get it. I don't know. People will literally read it for the articles. <laughs> it will no longer be a joke. No, that I I, I once stood in Smith reading a play by Father Patrick Stewart's interview. I read it for the Grand Morrison <laughs> So we are those people. But yeah. well, I'm not going to say I didn't take a cheeky <laughs> peek while I was there. Anyway, Neil Stanniff has emailed in esteemed Leyland. I like that we're esteemed. So do I. Mm. It's false, but I like it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your conversation during your drive to the Lakes International Comics Arts Festival. I really enjoyed listening in on the chat, almost as though I were concealed under a blanket in the boot of the car, silently. Patiently. <clears throat> what I meant to say was I appreciated the casual pace of the conversation, and I was gratified to learn that no matter where we come from, whether it be the United States or the United Kingdom, we are all united by a common, irrepressible urge to vent our spleen at our ferromotorists. <laughs> Even if the Brits are far more polite about it. Yes, yes, that's what I meant to say. Uh, I don't remember being polite about it. Neither do so I. You're honest. never polite behind the wheel. No, that's very true. I mean, I was polite to the cyclists, because as a cyclist, I, I can appreciate what they were doing, but they really should have been single file on a bend. 
Right. Was there only one of them, wasn't there? No, there was two. Is this and they were side by side on the way to the lake. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, I can't remember slagging off any other drivers. Mm. I probably did, probably did. Because I do it without even thinking about yeah. it, don't I? So, all right, fine. I was pleased to be reminded, uh, continues Neil, of Scroobius Pips broadcast, a podcast who first came to my attention through your podcast. Well, have we mentioned him before? Yeah. All right, okay. Well, I presume you have mentioned him. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. spoken about it, because he did Alan Moore and such. Did he really? <laughs> well, lucky, get... old, lucky old Pip. <laughs> I was pleased to hear I'm not the only person who is less than overawed at the work of Frank Miller. For me, though, the best moments involved hearing Michael talk about comics and comic strips in a way that incorporated history and theory. Call me an academic, if you will, because I am, but I've always loved turning an art form or a medium inside out and taking a good look at what makes it tick, where it came from, and what it was first designed to do. It never diminishes my enjoyment of the art form, it only ever enhances my appreciation when I can get a good grasp of the origins, modes of production, and historical context of media of expression, from pulps to paperbacks, from handbills to syndicated strips. Perhaps one day the two of you will dedicate a reunion episode to a deeper investigation of the history and theory behind comics and comic strips. That would be a genuine treat, I think. That's an interesting idea. Mm. My thing with that is, it's kind of been done as an academic exercise. Gerard Jones has wrote books on it and and stuff like that. It's interesting. It would be interesting to get you to talk about it and me just keep asking questions of you. Right. I think that would make it more ours than reading a bunch of academic tomes and blowing the dust off I just quite like fine art and the stories behind it like how the church was a superpower and the the commissioned artists Mm -hmm. to tell their stories and make them look good and anyone who questioned them Mm -hmm. was sacked and blacklisted so similar to what we currently have in parliament at the minute where um, the house of lords have voted against something the government want to do and our lovely chancellor of the exchequer said oh we'll deal with that in that way (laughs) that implies that they will be going away soon yeah yeah, but we, we live in a democracy. Oh, depot. Allegedly. Um, it Osborne's was, democracy. Yeah, never trust an Osborne. It was good to hear you had a pleasant time at the festival, despite the coffin dodgers in the mobility scooters. <laughs> Just what is a coffin dodger? I can't imagine they're actually adept at agilely dodging coffins, though that might make for an interesting experiment. Do they bribe government-provided rascal scooters down narrow sidewalks while crying out for a smaller government and blaming immigrants for taking all the good jobs? Or am I thinking of the Tea Party? <laughs> Coffin dodgers yeah. is a rather derogatory term. It is. That we don't normally use in polite conversation. <laughs> but it's funny. But it's funny. For the uh, very elderly... Yeah, fragile. Yeah, who do use those mobility scooters and are constantly grumpy about it. Just think a perpetual Aunt May. (laughs) Aunt May is a coffin dodger. She really is. Quite literally. (laughs) She's been dead. Hey, I've died twice. Yeah, yeah. Aunt May's died more than that, I think. Well, until next time you reunite, here's wishing you both the best. Neil Stanifer, grammar merchant. Well, Neil... Here we are, reunited. Yeah. Do you like how both the emails in the last two shows have led into the show? Clever. It's like I put some thought into this crap. It's, it, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's a nice illusion. <laughs> I like to believe that the lovely <laughs> listener believes it. Yeah, yeah. Even if we don't. Okay. All right, here's a commercial for our Sunday show. And after we come back, we will be looking at the last four issues of the Infinite Crisis miniseries. It's been a great ride, but all good things must come to an end. Our paths might not cross again in this lifetime. Take care, all of you. Bye, Grandpa. Goodbye, Mom. Bye, Master Roshi and Mr. Turtle. Goodbye, my friend. 
So long, everybody! We'll miss you. Live your lives to the fullest, and I'll see you again when you're done. Bye, friend. This adventure's been a great one. The end of the next dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Episode 50. dbznextdimension.lipson.com Let's say goodbye. We're back. Um, there was a couple of other miniseries that I've not mentioned. Yeah. What have I not mentioned? What did I, what did I completely forget? I didn't mention Ram Thanagawa. You didn't, which is great. Which is great. That's... It doesn't. It doesn't have too much of a. You don't have to read that to understand Infinite Crisis. Yeah. You just have to know it's going on. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you do get the bit later on where you're seeing the other side of Alexander Luthor mm. playing. Yeah. Um, there's the Shadow Pact one. Yeah, I don't think I've read that one. Is oh, it's it's really good. Is uh, it? Yeah, it's it's a Vertigo comic. Right. But from the Vertigo's heyday. Right. Um, Day of Vengeance. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Right, okay. That's essentially about your vertical characters, so it's right. your Captain Marvel, what happened, who the Shazam was talking to. Right. Crisis of Conscience? That's just the, the name of the uh, issue. Is it? So what? what's this mini-series then? It was... Yeah, it was It was Day of Vengeance, yeah. Right. Um, so that's what happens with Captain Marvel, Spectre, what's going on in that. There was the Superman story that crossed over into those Superman issues. Yes, so that's the... With Superman and Superman 2. But that was just happening in the regular Superman titles, wasn't it? Is that's the John Burns? Yeah, John Byrne did an issue. Gail Anna Bennis, Gail Simone wrote it. Yeah, that was just in the regular Superman comics. Oddly, Batman didn't get one, did he? Because Batman not? was in the middle of the Red Hood storyline at the time. Right. So they didn't interrupt the Red Hood storyline. Fair play to him. Mm. To, to squeeze in, to shoe on in an Infinite Crisis reference. Right. So that was fine. So that was good. <clears throat> yeah, Ram Fanagar was good. I've not read the other ones. Right. And then there's like one-off miniseries that take place within Infinite Crisis. Yeah, because the Day of Vengeance one also uses a lot of Identity Crisis mm. with, um, what's he called, with a black diamond and the half-moon face? Moon Knight? <laughs> no, you know, you, you know what I mean, don't you? I know what you mean. Uh, but uh, essentially Sue Dibner is crazy from Identity Crisis and yeah. she's harnessing that power. Right. And of course there was an Infinite Crisis Secret Files in Origin. Which we have here, which had lovely artwork from Jerry Ardware. Yeah, and it's it's quite important to the story as well. Which is, and this is quite important. To the, there's a lot of backstory in this about Superman and Lois and Alex and Superboy Prime, but this backstory does pay into the actual story quite well, and it's quite a surprise, really. That um, it's got a great cover. Yeah, it's Superman holding a dying Lois. By, uh, that's by Ivan Rice, isn't it? Yeah. My only so. problem with this issue is where it's put in the omnibus. Yeah, it's put in between the miniseries, the cri- is that the Crisis of Conscience it's miniseries? The Day of Vengeance one. The yeah. Day of Vengeance one. So my, my, so my problem oh, is... So the Day of Vengeance one shot yeah. takes place in between issues The one, yeah. two, the, three the, and four. They did the six issue miniseries and then a one shot special conclusion. Yeah, for each one. Yeah. So, yeah, my my problem with The Secret Files is that it's it's good backstory, but it takes away from the reveal in the next issue of the main series. So you think it shouldn't be before issue four? Because in this, it it shows Alexander Luthor's plan. He goes you through his plan, all the setup in the the miniseries. He does, yeah, you're right, yeah, because I read this wrong. It's revealed that Superboy, they broke through into our world before Superman did in the first issue. Yeah. 
And so, but they, re- they reveal this anyway in yeah. a later issue in a later of the main series. Review. Now the way now because I didn't twig on that because in my comic long boxes I had this after the series, right? So I didn't have it in between Infinite Crisis. So I read this afterwards, and I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, it does. It does take away, doesn't it? Yeah. From um, from the reveal, the best thing about this, the, these aren't in the omnibus. No. The back page has some who's who entries. Which, they don't make secret files and origins like this anymore. No, they don't. And the Superman of Earth 2's Darwin Cook. Yeah. Which is a lovely little, what's that? Howard Chaykin does Lois Lane. Mm. And what I love about that in the background there, Superman doing the action comics pose. Yeah. Plays a lovely little touch. I mean, the others, Alex, uh, Alex Luther of Earth 2 and the Superboy 1, they're not great. By uh, Kalman Androsovsky. And Stephanie Rue. But the Howard Chaykin and the, um, what's that, the Darwin Cook one. Although, is it Darwin Cook? If we go to the front page, it says Superman of Earth 2 by Dave Bullock. Oh, yeah. I, I had know. a swore blind that was Darwin Cook. I can see it now. Right, okay. For, it's still nice, though. Mm. Yeah, I had a swore blind. Glad I didn't take that for Darwin Cook to sign. Because <laughs> he would have looked at me and said, I did not work on this project. Yeah. Alright. Alright, should we move on to Infinite Crisis number four? Uh, uh, yeah. George Perez's cover, which is what I have, depicts the chaos on New Kronos. Um, it's great because it's Perez, it's lots of characters I don't really care about. Although Firestorm's very nice, Hawk Girl, various different Green Lanterns, including Guy Gardner, Alan Stewart, Alan Scott. Yeah, Alan Scott. it's a Perez one, so you are sat going, oh, I yeah. know who he is. Hawkman, Red Tornado, Animal Man, Supergirl, they're all here. Uh, the Jim Lee one is just Super Boy, Boy versus Super, Super Boy. And Crypto. And Crypto in the background, yeah. That's, that's, again, that's not bad. But it's the, Jim Lee. The thing with the Jim Lee covers is they're good and they work and they serve the purpose. Yeah, and they, they do what they do. They show what's going on in the inside. Well, so, yeah, what sort of Perez is. Yeah, exactly, but you, Perez is a better artist than Lee. Yeah, that's true. Regardless of how you look at it. Yeah, and just on every, on a technical level. Yeah. He's just you a can, better artist. You can like Jim Lee, and I do at this era, but Perez is a better artist. Yeah, that's true. Uh, chapter 4 is entitled Homecoming. The Brotherhood of Evil drop Kibo on Bloodhaven. Yeah, Bloodhaven goes boom. Back at the Anti-Monitor Tower, Alexander explains to Power Girl he's been dropping by this Earth for some time. He was behind the Secret Six. He was behind locating the Anti-Monitor's body. And he located the Psycho Pirates, the only other person to remember the crisis. It was the Psycho Pirate who made Wonder Woman kill Max Lord and drove Batman paranoid. He reprogrammed Brother Eye to have sentience and he had Superboy play billiards with the galaxy. He's been around for a long, long year, stole many a man's soul and faith. He was there when Jesus Christ had his moments of doubt and pain. <laughs> He's been a busy bunny, is what I'm saying. Superboy leaves to talk to someone, and Alex puts Power Girl to sleep. In what's left of Blood Harbor, Batman shows Nightwing the black box recorder and asks for help. Batman shows Nightwing the recording. Superman 2 visits Lois as Alex continues to manipulate him. Booster Gold finds Jamie Reyes and discovers the scarab is fused to his spine. And in Crispus Allen... Crispus Allen! Yeah. And apparently Crispus Allen is now dead. Where did that come from? Day of Vengeance? He's just dead yeah. in this series. Not for long, though, as the Spectre takes him as a new host. 
The main event, though, is in Smallville. Superboy Prime left to talk to the Kents, but loses his temper with Connor Kent, who is an ass, it has to be said, and Superboy Prime punches him clean across town. Connor's dog moves in to aid his master, and Superboy Prime kicks him here across town as well. Connor is a tad miffed, but under this Earth's yellow sun, Superboy Prime is so strong that Connor is a bloody mess. Connor activates his Titans Come and Help Me signal, and they rock up to help out. All this really does is make Superboy Prime even more petulant, and he punches Panther's head clean off. The Titans hit Superboy Prime with everything they've got. It isn't enough. Superboy Prime cuts Wildebeest in half with his heat vision, freezes Red Star to death with his super breath, and tears Risk's arm off. Of course, this is all somebody else's fault, and it's up to the Flashes to save the day, whisking Superboy Prime up and pulling him into the Speed Force. Jay Garrick has to bail and Wally seems to be absorbed into the Speed Force, leaving Bart left to save the day. He's out of his league, but Barry Allen suddenly appears, and with the help of other speedsters, Max Mercury and Johnny Quick, they all disappear. Only Jay remains, and he realises that the Speed Force is gone. The Omax flock around the tower as Alex gets Black Adam to say the magic word, Shazam. A maelstrom begins, turning the fabric of space and time as reality is warped to the will of Alexander Luthor. People disappear, worlds collide, and when the dust settles, Superman 2 holds Lois as they stand in front of the Daily Star. Earth 2 is back. Ooh, I'll kick it off. Uh, the seeds planted throughout the DCU in many a recent of this vintage book uh, uh, over quite a number of different comics start reaching maturity here and to be fair whilst John's maybe fudging with the crisis a bit these do all kind of make sense yeah and they do all kind of add up nice little touches like the psycho pirate and Alex's belief that he didn't have to push too hard to get Batman and Wonder Woman to do what he wanted are well plotted my favourite line is Alex acknowledging that whenever there is a Luther and a Superman stand together they will always be at odds which is which is a nice touch because it plays into the story and now whether you believe that yeah. making Alexander Luther a bad guy was a good thing or not and a lot of people don't yeah I, um, I did work out what the difference was what that the guy the atom is oh, the right. original issue right you're it's absolutely not a big right. difference but yeah so, so the tower shot on page 3 of issue 4 is what Michael was talking about last issue when he thought one of the figures was different yeah. in the original issue there is nobody in the little panel box tube thing next to Power Girl. In the actual comic book, in the graphic novel, sorry, the atom... Oh, he is, though. He's just not been coloured. Ah. So they've coloured it correctly right. in the omnibus. So it does make it look like the atom... Is it the atom? Yeah, because they, they, they do talk about him. Right. So the actual comic doesn't make it clear that the atom's there, but in the omnibus you can actually see him clearly. So the page so before that, though, with chemo, is a great page. Yeah. I love the, I love him just falling yeah. towards Bloodhaven uh, over one panel. Mm. But your eye is following him as you read the separate panels that are there as well. So presumably everyone that's in Bloodhaven there is dead. Yes. So what's the body count on this series so far? Big. Well. <laughs> <laughs> big. <laughs> Lots. Death count big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the. it has more of a payoff in later stories, isn't it? It's mm. a big deal in Final Crisis. It is. That's very true. That Bloodhaven's a mess. Mm. Yeah. All right, that works. Uh, John's nails the individual scenes in this series, like Batman actually asking Nightwing for help, 
Alex's manipulations of Superman 2. The subplots are all really well juggled as well, mm. which is really nice to read that everything's been handled with such a deft hand. But still, there's a criticism worth mentioning. The series has its flaws. Yeah. It's Christmas Allen was fine when we last saw him in issue one, wasn't he? We couldn't remember his damn name. No. But he was fine when we last saw him. Yet here, he's on a slab. Yeah. And he's dead. And Jones is pretty bad at keeping readers who are only reading this up to speed. Yeah, well, the original issues don't even have a this happened in issue da 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 da. No, the original, because footnotes are stupid and comic booky and we don't want them. Well, yeah. But yeah, Christmas Allen, who was perfectly fine in issue one, is now dead. And with no indication of how he died, why he died, where he died. Mm. And, I mean, I presume it was in one of the tie-ins that I didn't read. Yeah, I think Day of Vengeance, yeah. probably. Because yeah. he ends up being the Spectre, doesn't he? Mm. In 52. And who does Montoya end up being? The Question. The Question, you mentioned that last time, didn't you? Yeah, so I didn't like that. Um, but, you know. And I, I hated that development. I hated Christmas Allen and Montoya being superheroes they, they were great in Gotham Central when they were normal cops dealing with the extra normal making everyone a super of some kind just means there's no normal people left anymore so you're left with that problem that plagued the X-Men yeah everyone's a mutant so it was you know I, I do like Montoya I never read Gotham Central but reading her in 52 mm. again by Greg Rucker but I, I, I quite liked it as a development Gotham Central's great Mm. I love Gotham Central. The thing with Montoya is, I, I see her working more than the Spectre. Because with Jim Corrigan, not Jim Corrigan, Christmas, Christmas Allen, Allen, he's becoming a godly entity. Yeah. Whereas Montoya is just becoming a faceless detective. Yeah. Uh, say, uh, I like some of as normal cops. But some of that is playing into the Batman the Animated Series as well. Yeah. But Montoya was, was Bullock's partner. Uh, is this Connor Kent supposed to be the superboy of Reign of the Superman? Uh, I don't know. Because he's had a complete personality overhaul, if it is. Mm. Now, this, this guy, the guy in Reign of the Superman was fun-loving and happy-go-lucky. And with his leather jacket. Yeah, and he went classic, to Hawaii yeah. and he eyed up the women and he was a fun, fun kind of light kind of guy. He had a couple of problems, being a clone and all. Super Ferris Bueller. Yeah, basically. And this guy's just whiny. Yeah. What is it about the Superboys in this series that they're just whiny and irritating? Well, it's Jeff Johns, isn't it? Is that his interpretations? I think it might be. Yeah. So let us know if this is supposed to be the same guy. Because it doesn't feel like it, for those of us that only read a couple of issues of that series. He's got a nice bit of development in this. Yeah, and then he dies. So what are they saying, though? That we can only develop the character to kill him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, there's an altered line in the omnibus with Connor getting angry and fighting back after Superboy Prime kicks his dog. That's a line not in the original comic book. Superboy Prime really doesn't apparently understand that you don't kick the dog. I know, yeah, it's crypto. I know, it's just, that's just shocking. Um, because they changed, because Superboy gets angry. Superboy, Connor Kent, Superboy, gets angry after Superboy Prime just tosses crypto down the street. And that's when the red eyes of anger come out. Yeah. And uh, he says, all right, that's it. Come on, you mother... And it cuts off. Yeah, it just Whereas, says, that's it, you kicked my dog. Yeah. So apparently the level of violence is perfectly acceptable, but swearing, that's just off the table. Yeah, well, they say something in a later issue, don't they? Do they change something else? 
I, I know there is something where, like, oh, right, so you can't say that, but you can quite clearly say that. Right. Okay, fair enough. Well, that was one of the things about the Final Crisis, wasn't it? They were yeah. inconsistent in the swearing that they would allow. Yeah. It's like the editorial hand just wasn't wasn't knowing what the left hand was doing. Mm. So it seemed a bit... So that did seem a bit odd that he was allowed to say mother f- in the book, yeah. but in the collected omnibus they changed that. So in the more expensive version that isn't as easy for children to get a hold of, he's not allowed to swear. <laughs> yeah. Didn't make any sense to me, I'll be honest with you. It's quite cool seeing Crypto bite into Superboy's shoulder. Is he Crypto? Yeah. Right, because when did Crypto come back then? I don't know. There's a huge chunk of around 2005 to 2010 Superman that I just don't know anything about, isn't there? I do know that Crypto lived with this Superboy on the farm. And he's proper Crypto? I think, as far as I know, yeah. Right, okay. All right, well, I don't know where he came from. He can fly and he can bite Superboy through the shoulder. Well, see, that was was something that didn't matter to me because I know who Crypto is. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, all right, Crypto's back. Well, most people know who Crypto is, so... Oh, it was a Jeff Loeb issue, wasn't it, that brought Crypto back? Was it? I think so. Right. Yeah, I vaguely remember there's a cover of a Jeff Loeb issue with Crypto on it. Right. So it's very possible that Jeff... Because Jeff Loeb was big on bringing all that stuff back, wasn't he? Well, I want the the super horse and the super monkey. Comet the super horse was in Supergirl when Peter David was writing it. Right. I don't know if she was proper Comet the super horse. Oh, I don't remember. I want Beppo back, so... Uh, well, I don't think anyone's ever brought Beppo back. Until Beppo returns to Superman. <laughs> make, make mine Marvel. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, for all the people that didn't like the destruction of um, Smallville... In the Man of Steel movie, here you go, it's in the comics. Yes. It's arguably more destructive here mm. than in than in Man of Steel. I mean, if you're going to argue why the hell aren't civilians getting hurt in this, co- in this battle in the Man of Steel movie, you've got to ask the same question about this. Yeah, well, events often lose sight of the civilians, don't they? Yeah, but there's, there's what's his name, there's quite clearly a lot of civilians just milling about in the streets. Mm. So and buildings are being destroyed and super teams are fighting Superboy and yeah. I mean if Zack Snyder looked at this and went wow this will be cool on film again you're looking at that whole argument you don't get to pick and choose which comics he picks well the, the thing with the Man of Steel movie what that pointed out was that comics are overlooked and so when something happens in the movies that's already happened in the comics hmm. It's a big deal when it's in the movie because everyone watches movies. Mm, I think the big deal with Man of Steel was it was the final act, which has happened twice in the comics. Yeah, that's well, <laughs> this comic. Yeah, but because which we're in about comics, to get to, they're yeah. overlooked. We're about to get to a major Superman slash Superboy. We we are doing something quite important uh, yeah. in in the comic. I have to be honest. I've got no clue who Panther is, but holy shit, Superboy just punched his head off. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how I felt about this. It is so ridiculously over the top. And as a 15-year-old boy, you'd probably go, cool. But on the other hand, this this does play into the story as to how far gone Superboy Prime is. Yeah, it makes for an interesting read. But it's quite... It's... It's taking it to that next level. It kind of has... There's something wrong about it that this shouldn't be happening, but the reason why it is happening makes sense. Yeah, there is there is a problem with the fact that Superboy did... I mean, it's not... And he doesn't stop there. No, he doesn't. He then turns around with his heat vision and cuts somebody in half. Mm. He then freezes somebody to death, and then he rips somebody's arm off. Yeah. 
So he doesn't stop when he punches Panther's head off. So it's, it's kind of like he believes he is he is the pure character. Really? He is in a world of, uh, you know, uh, he's white in a world of black. Yeah. There's no grey scales or anything. Because essentially that's the world that he comes from. There was black yeah. and there was white and that was it. There was no shades of grey. And essentially uh, you can read into this that he's been getting dragged into this modern era of comics. Mm. And he's becoming violent and then in trying to make himself look like the good guy, he's losing sight of that. But I think the, the key moment in this is that all the way through this fight, he continues to insist he's the good guy. Yeah, it's he's, he's lost sight of what it is to be the good guy in trying to justify his own actions. Hmm. And he's blaming everyone else for his own actions. So that's, in one way, he's right because that's how he sees it but he's utterly, utterly wrong and selfish and blinded by that selfishness. And how much of this is manipulation by the psycho pirate? I don't think... And Alex Luthor, and how much of it is this is... He's not needed a lot of pushing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with the the Secret Files and Origins story, he's quite clearly messed up. He's re-watching the same memories. He's re-reading the same old comics over... And over again. Yeah, and when Alex Luthor shows him the bad memories, he messes up, he breaks down, and then he just goes into this safety blanket of his memories. Mm. So he's quite clearly messed up in the head. And so all Alex had to do, really, was just give him that push. Yeah. So in addition to being a commentary, a quite mean-spirited commentary on older comics fans. Especially when it came more apparent in yeah. that later issue in Blackest Night, I think it was. What was the one where he, he goes on blogging online. Yeah. yeah. Mike Bailey told me about that. I thought that was just... Um, that was like, in this story, it's subtext. But it's like they didn't trust you to get the subtext. Yeah. So they did that scene later on to point it out to you. Mm. And that was a bit... I think that was a bit much. You can read that subtext into it here, but you don't have to if you don't want to. It's, it's not as insulting here. Yeah, because it's subtext, so yeah, you can exactly. kind of overlook it if you want to. But he's also, is he a commentary on entitlement? Yeah. And not taking any responsibility for your own actions? Mm. And after all of this, this this kid still thinks he's going to grow up to be Superman? Yeah. After he's just, you know, punched somebody's head off, mm. he thinks he's going to be Superman. And, and Lois kind of just spells it all out in the Secret Origins issue. She says he will never be Superman. Mm. And because he never had the chance to become Superman, he was Superboy and then he lived in the limbo and he done age, that's had a massive effect on him just living through the same memories. It's had a massive effect on him psychologically. Yeah. So I suppose what we're saying is that within the context of all of that, it does perhaps work in and of this story. But again, it still has that... But it's still somebody with the S punching somebody's head off. Yeah, we shouldn't be reading this. Yeah. But it works, even though you know it's wrong. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that I had with it. Um, In hindsight, this can be seen as DC spiral into darkness and violence. Mm. I honestly think, in the isolated confines of this story, this works. Yeah. Now, what effect that has on the rest of the wider DC universe, what effect that has on the earlier stories where Superboy Prime was a relatively innocent character, Mm. what the ramifications of this are on the rest of that material, that's open to debate. Yeah. 
because you can't now go back and read one of those old Superboy Prime comics without going, he punched Panther's head off! Yeah. But, taking all that out of the question, and concentrating purely on Infinite Crisis, it works in this story. Mm. But then again, that goes to when you're working in, in what's called corporate comics like this, you're not working in isolation, are you? No. So Everything's going to be a sequel to what you're doing. Yeah. What you do might be original, but it won't be in 20 years down the line. And somewhere down the line, some writer may come and use your story as a springboard for his multi-part crossover yeah. that completely does different things from what you intended. Hidden meanings yeah. discovered. So then Jeff Johns may be the one going, but I didn't mean that. And yeah. you're like, well, tough. You don't own these characters, do you? Um, it's very tightly plotted, despite some deviations from Crisis and Infinite Earths. The fight is visually comic book stunning. Is this Perez? Perez did the Flash stuff. Right, and Jimenez and Jerry Hardware. Yeah. Because it looks like there's flashes of Jerry Hardware in this. I don't think Hardware did this issue. Let's have a say. No, you're right, he doesn't get a credit, so it must be Jimenez and Perez and Ivan Rice that I'm seeing, rather than Hardware. Yeah. The stakes are high, people are dying. Looking at it just from the point of view of this one storyline, it's working quite well. Yeah. And then it ends with Earth 2 is brought back. And the Flash is coming back is really cool as well. Yeah, the return of Barry Allen. See, could they not have used this to bring Barry Allen back? When all the universes emerged at the end of this story... They could have done, yeah. Couldn't they just establish that suddenly Barry Allen's back and he's got no idea why or how? Yeah. Instead of having that whole flashpoint. Not flashpoint. Uh, rebirth thing. Final crisis. Yeah. With all this, though, it kind of does... When you see how much Barry Allen showed up before Final Crisis, mm. it does kind of take away from the reveal of that a bit. Yeah. Whereas if he'd come back after this... Yeah. You'd been like, well, that makes sense. He came back in... Cri- he died in Crisis and Infinite Earth. He came back in Infinite Crisis. Yeah. And you wouldn't have had to have the whole Rebirth, Flashpoint, although Flashpoint... Flashpoint wasn't that bad. Rebirth wasn't a Green Lantern Rebirth. Right. It was more... Morrison did this in Final Crisis, mm-hmm. but how can we then ground him in his own series? And the, and the thing that people have pointed out, with Hal Jordan, he had such an ignominious end. Yeah. Whereas Barry Allen died a hero. Whereas Hal Jordan was tainted, which is the point of this series. Yeah. So it all it all does kind of work, doesn't it? All right. Uh, Superboy Prime punching people's heads off. What did you uh, What did you think of this issue? I I enjoyed it. It's good. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. That's and true. regardless of what you read into it, hmm. there's still a lot that. I'm not sure. I don't know how to describe it really. It is. It's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah. Like we say, in the context of this story. It works quite well. Uh, issue 5, uh, the Perez cover is brilliant. It's uh, Superman 2 punching Superman 1, essentially through the fabric of reality. Yeah. Isn't he? So, what's the Jim Lee cover? Uh, the Jim Lee is Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, and Batman jumping towards us with Wonder Woman in the background. Yeah, it's alright. I, I really like the Wonder Woman's in this one. Yeah. I like the, the Blue Beetle, actually. Yeah. I don't mind that redesign of Blue Beetle. It is it's still a very Jim Lee redesign. Yeah, well, yeah. You take the rough with the smooth, though. Uh, this issue is called Faith. The many and very different heroes try to adjust to this new situation, as Earth also must adjust to having another Earth in the sky. Superman 2, meanwhile, doesn't care about any of that. He succeeded. He and Lois are back, surrounded by an Earth that they love. 
On Earth 1, Booster Gold drops by the Batcave with Jamie Reyes, and he tells Batman that this kid is in possession of the Blue Beetle Scarab, and is the new Blue Beetle. Booster also says that future history tells him that Batman never found the Brother Eye satellite, but that's because the past Batman didn't have Blue Beetle, the only person who can see Brother Eye. The battle-suited Lex Luthor has Connor in a rejuvenation chamber, preparing for revenge against Alexander Luthor. He plants a small crystal in Connor's clothes. Back on Earth 2, Lois collapses. Her death has nothing to do with the end of the world. It is simply her time. Superman 2 won't accept that. Superman always saves Lois Lane. Not this time. Even Superman can't prevent death. His cries reverberate around the world. Wonder Woman meets her elder counterpart who tells her that she's been a warrior, a princess, a goddess and an ambassador. But for the longest time she hasn't been a human. Being a human isn't all that bad. Wonder Woman turns to see the Daily Star building fall and she flies over to see Superman 2 smashing Superman 1 into the pavement, blaming him for all this world's ills. That's why he wanted his Earth, the perfect Earth, back. But as Superman 1 points out, a perfect world doesn't need a Superman. Alex Luthor also searches for his perfect Earth, and he cycles through many worlds to find it, and for that, he needs a Superman. Superman is the key to the multiverse. Alex fires his tower, and across the night skies, multiple Earths pop into existence. Superboy has apparently left the tube, battle-suited Lex had him in, and meets up with Nightwing. Superboy tells Nightwing that if Nightwing knows who these people destroying the world are, he knows where they are. Nightwing tells Superboy that they are all they have left. Let's go shut these guys down. Elsewhere, bursting free of the speed force, the Flash is loosed. He tells anyone that will listen that the Flashes weren't enough. Superboy Prime is free, and he's pretty pissed off. Uh, there's a two-page spread, uh, pages two and three of the actual issue that is not part of the original comic, and is therefore only available in the trade or in the omnibus. Okay. So an extra two pages of art there that you didn't get before, so does that mean it blends? Yeah, and then it just picks straight up, doesn't it? Mm. So, two extra pages there for well worth the hundred quid that your omnibus costs. Defo. <laughs> you could probably get it for cheaper than that now. Can't I you? did get it quite cheap, that's why I bought both of them. Where did you get it from? Amazon. Alright, oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, I loved the conversation with Mr. Terrific about yeah, being an atheist in the one DC of those universe. Uncomfortably sure of yourself things. Yeah. Well, when you've got a world full of religious characters. You're an idiot if you don't believe in yeah. religion. Well, Ragman actually says to him, you don't believe in God. Isn't the Spectre a member of the Justice Society? Before my time. <laughs> so because it was before your time, you don't believe. Yeah, All yeah. right, fair enough. What about guys like Deadman and Zoriel? And my own suit is made up of corrupted souls. Uh, unique energy could qualify as telepathic discharge. You don't believe in anything? No, I believe in my team. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things that works in comics, but... Yeah, I quite like that conversation, actually. Yeah. I quite like that that guy is, no, I don't believe in, in a supreme being, but you are surrounded by them! The, the guy giving the speech is an angel. Yeah. <laughs> so that was funny. Yeah. I thought that was, that was actually really fun. Uh, it's a nice touch as well that all the characters have ended up on Earth 2 were Earth 2 characters prior to the crisis. Yeah. So it's kind of like they've been sucked back to where they should belong. But they don't know the... They belong there because yeah, of the crisis. they don't know the history. They don't know that it should be there. So that's, that is, again, a really nice touch. Having... Is it Ordway doing this? I'm, I'm convinced these early pages are Jerry Ordway. Let right. me have a look at the back. Yes, Ordway did this one. Right. So having Ordway do the Earth 2 stuff is really good. Yeah, because he did you really inked... Uh, well, he pencils and inks his own work here. But he inked a lot of Crisis on Infinite Earth, didn't he? 
over yeah. Perez. So so that does work, and it's it's really quite sweet. The Superman Lois stuff yeah. is really quite heartrending, especially seeing he's done all this just so that she can have a brief moment in her homeworld for yeah. her to die before she dies. It's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, especially when you realise that he can't save her. Yeah. The, the bit where he says Superman always saves Lois Lane. Not this time. So that the, the, the Superman Lois Lane stuff is really nice. And it shows the difference between the two characters that Superman doesn't petulantly blame everybody after this. Yeah. He has a bit of a strop that gets him into a fight. But that's just... But then brief. he comes to the realisation that, wait a minute, I'm yeah. back the wrong horse. So it's the difference between him and Superboy Prime, isn't it? Uh, Booster Gold, I love that just casually changes history. Yeah. So it implies that he went to the 25th century, looked up how this all turned out, and then has come back in time to say, right, Batman, this is what we need to do to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. So essentially, he obviously has... There are no rules of time travel as far as Booster Gold is concerned. Apparently not. He's just come back and said, right, okay, Batman, last time you didn't have this guy. Let's go. (laughs) Pretty good and all. Yeah, which I, I quite like. It begs the question of how much he knows... Well... And why you never mentioned it before? They play around like in 52. Do they? Mm. Alright, so so when he went and got new skeets... Yeah. That's when he looked it up. But prior to that, he didn't know any of this. Could be. Alright, okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll go on. Because he didn't know about Maxwell Lord. That's true. He didn't know that Maxwell like, Lord was Considering that video of Wonder Woman snapping his neck was posted worldwide. Yeah, you'd think he would have known that, wouldn't yeah. you? Alright, so they explained that in 52. No, yeah. I just thought of that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I thought you were you were dropping seeds though that they explained all of this in fifty two. No, 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 no. No, all right, okay. Uh, Lois seems to know that this Earth two is not the original Earth two. I don't know how she knows that, but she seems to get an inkling. And Lois dying is is really heartbreaking, especially all the lovely flashbacks to fifties. Yeah, Superman or forties because there's a we can do it World War Two poster on the wall. So all of that's great because again conjures up a George Reeves vibe. And then we get the little homage to Superman and Supergirl dying in Christ on Infinite Earth 7. Yeah. And this, the Superman Lois stuff is really sweet. Mm. And, you know, he can it's, pull it's out... It's one of the best parts of the story. It is. And it works really well. It's really, really good. Uh, the Return of Earth 2, be it the real one or not, has restored some elements of pre-crisis history. As the news reports make reference to the Flash of Two Worlds which was the story that kicked off all this Earth 1 and Earth 2 nonsense in the first place. Yeah. So that's nice. And then at the end, obviously, we get a summation of what's changed, kind of. Mm. Like Joe Chill was back killing Batman and and Batman's parents, sorry. And whilst the appearance of the other Earth 2 characters seem quite organic, the Earth 1 Wonder Woman appears, dispenses her wisdom, and then just simply disappears back into the light. Yeah. Was she dead? Um, Is she dead? No, she says... She's all glowy, but she says when crisis happened, she went into Olympus. Right, well, you see, in the comic, she says, soon I'll no longer exist, making it not entirely clear. And I think somebody must have agreed with me, because in your omnibus, they've changed the line of dialogue. Right. They actually changed the line to clarify that she's been pulled elsewhere. Mm. So it's an outside force. She does just disappear. Yeah, but they've changed a couple of lines of dialogue there to make that make a little bit more sense. Now that I've left Olympus, the God's blessings are fading. Soon I'll no longer exist. Now that I've let the God's blessing to keep me here are fading, so I'm being pulled elsewhere. 
Right. So it explains it better in the omnibus than it does in the actual issue. Yeah. It's still a bit woolly. Yeah. Basically, she shows up to Obi-Wan Kenobi some wisdom to Wonder Woman and then get the hell out of Dodge, doesn't she? Yeah. It it kind of feels like she's only there. Maybe just to throw her in there. Maybe yeah. Phil Jimenez wanted to draw a Golden Age Wonder Woman. Maybe they felt they needed an appearance by a Golden Age Wonder Woman. Yeah. Even though they, they quite clearly didn't. Uh, Superman 2 smashing Superman into the floor with the car is a brilliant homage to Action Comics number one. Yeah. That's an absolutely gorgeous page by uh, by um, Jerry Hardware. Like, I like that he's doing this in front of his dead wife. Yeah. You'd think that he would have a bit more respect than that. But, all right. uh, the implication that Alex Luthor has been playing Superman from... Superman 2, sorry, from the beginning, is not implied anymore. Yeah. It's actually outright stated here. Alex knew Lois would die, and he doesn't give a toss. Because that's not part of his overall plan. He basically just needed to keep telling him that to keep him around, didn't he? Because he needs Superman. He doesn't care about Lois. There's another nice touch. Alex's tower is powered by beings from each Earth. Yeah. I thought that was really quite clever as well. Alex's line, everything comes from Superman, acknowledges that Superman was the first superhero and that everything came, everything that came after owes their existence to him. Mm. So there's a lot of really nice, interesting nuggets in this. It's all coming together plot-wise in this issue. Yeah. Giving you two issues to have a big old fight and wrap it all up, which is essentially what you get. Uh, the Flash arrives at the end, which signifies... The, the return of Superboy Prime and all of the Earths just appearing over Titan's Tower it's great is, is really it's quite impressive even if use of photo oh yeah and the photo shoppery going on there but it is quite impressive isn't it yeah and I, and I do like that it's not just the same picture of Earth cloned I like this Bizarro world in there where's Bizarro world it's I don't know if it's in that one but it's definitely on the last page is there is there a square planet somewhere yeah when let's have a look because that would be pretty cool. The oh, right, there's an extra page, isn't there? No, the Earth montage on Superboy Prime Return yeah. is different. That's a reuse of that page. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. Alright, that page isn't in it. There's another extra page in the other. No, this page isn't. Yeah, that page is. But this that page isn't. Right. So if you turn back there, where are you there? A bit before that. There's Nightwing. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, essentially, just use that backdrop of all the many Earths for the back of Superboy Prime on the last page. Yeah. And, yeah, Bizarro World is there. There's a square world there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't noticed that. That's actually quite cool. <laughs> Bizarro World is back. Actually, that is a reuse of that page. So, the back plate on the last page of issue five... So, instead of using the page of the two rows... Yeah. They've used the left page of the Titan Tower spread. Of the Titan Tower spread. So, they changed the back plate on the last page for some reason. Yeah. Why have they done that? What difference does that make? I, I kind of guess it looks better. What do you think? With that one, you're going, ah, yes, that is very definitely a reuse of the two-column page. Whereas this... It doesn't look as obvious what they've done. Yeah. Right, okay, fair enough. Uh, other than the really rather good Superman versus Superman fight, this takes a moment to breathe before the climax, which is never a bad thing mm. when you're doing something like that. Whilst it's easy to plot out the events and where they will occur, three issues from the end is where Superman 2 has his epiphany, Alex will be revealed as the bad guy, John still does a great job with the build-up. 
with the benefits of hindsight, Nightwing is really being set up as about to join the choir invisible. And the alteration of this fact kind of hurts the setup, as it's all an irrelevance now anyway. But this has really become a most enjoyable, if dark, series. And one of the most enjoyable things I've read from John's that wasn't his flash work. What do you think of that? Of the issue? Yeah. It's, it's good. It's very definitely a breather. But it's also the most emotionally powerful issue of the mm. lot. But it's also the turning point of the story because it's setting up that yes, Alex is the bad guy. Yeah. Yes, all of this has been his manipulations. Yeah. It's so. it's the last chapter of Act Two. Basically, before we launch into the two part Act Three. Although there's a couple of extra issues in the omnibus, isn't there? Uh yeah there is, you get the There's a couple of extra specials. OMAC finishes and the Secret Society villains one yeah. finishes. So there's a couple of extras before we go into the last two. Uh, the George Perez cover, Alex Luther is at the centre of a maelstrom as two worlds collide. Shards of many different characters are shattered about his actions. The Jim Lee cover... It's, it's Superboy Prime, looking down on. We're in a Transformers costume. Iconography of fallen heroes. Yeah, so it's kind of implied that there's a Batarang there, Wonder Woman's tiara is there, the, the Green Lantern Lanson light, the capes floating on a thing as it did in Death Doomsday, Hop. yeah, so... It's alright, I suppose. Uh, number six is called Touchdown. The Blue Beetle's bug bounces between worlds as the Batman tries to get the new Beetle to find Brother Eye. He does, and the Eye greets its creator, the Batman. He is, after all, only following his programming, and that involves remapping the multiverse to find the perfect Earth. After that is done, there will be no need for any others. As the Omax attack, Batman orders the Green Lanterns to protect them. Superman 1 and 2 and Wonder Woman are also looking at the Earths, largely because, having put their differences behind them, they are trying to work out which one to go to. The list is narrowed by one, as Alex Luthor smashes another two Earths together in his quest to make a perfect world. On Earth 1, the magic characters all gather in Stonehenge and summon the Spectre. The Spectre ignores them and kills Star Sapphire as vengeance for all the men she has killed. So that didn't go according to plan. Connor Kent and Nightwing are joined by Wonder Girl, Cassie Sands, Mark version, and they prepare to take on Alex's tower. Simultaneously, the Beatles bug attacks Brother Eye, with Batman giving everyone orders to follow. Alex tries to destroy the Earth with Wonder Woman, Superman 1 and 2 on it, and Donna Troy realises the warning she received earlier was a portent of the events happening now. She has her group attack, and Firestorm blasts the antimatter of Alex's hands with raw matter. This prevents Alex killing Earth 2 as well as blowing one of his fingers off. The distraction is enough to prevent him from seeing Nightwing climb up behind him, but far worse than that, Connor has managed to free the super beings Alex had trapped in the tower, and they're pretty miffed. Power Girl launches an all-out attack on Alex as Black Adam crushes Psycho Pirate's head. Superboy Prime punches Black Adam away from the tower and this causes him to pop back to his own Earth. Superboy Prime demands Alex quit messing around with all these alternate Earths and remake Earth Prime. They will make that Earth perfect rather than wasting any more time. As Connor tries to use tactile telekinesis to destroy the tower, Superboy Prime is attacked by John Johns as Batman manages to penetrate the command centre of Brother Eye. Superboy Prime beats down John and escapes a trap from Nightshade, although he does freak out a bit due to the darkness. Who would have thought that Superboy Prime was afraid of the dark? Still free of this influence, Superboy Prime prepares to kill Nightwing as Wonder Girl fights the Omax, but Connor yanks Superboy Prime's head just as he's about to fry Nightwing with his heat vision. On Brother Eye, Batman distracts the computer with a sleight of hand. 
Brother I thinks Batman is here to wipe its memory, but in actuality, Batman was diverting his attention from Mr. Terrific, who has altered Brother I's orbit. He is now plummeting to Earth. With this, the OMAX starts self-destructing. Still, Brother I is determined to take Batman with it. Green Lantern pulls Batman out, and he orders Green Lantern to take them to the location of the Fortress of Solitude. At that location, Superboy Prime continues to fight as Alex seeks Earth Prime. Connor takes a severe beating but keeps on fighting, pushing back against Superboy Prime with all his might. The trajectory takes them up at high speeds and into the tower, just as Alex reaches out for Earth Prime. The resultant explosion causes all the remaining Earths to merge, shards of different lives and events colliding into one as we witness the birth of a new Earth. But in the shadow of this new world, a sad event. Wonder Girl and Nightwing find Connor bloodied and broken. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman 2 and Nightwing can do nothing as Wonder Girl cradles the dead body of her boyfriend as he dies in her arms. The opening is actually really quite lovely. Amidst a sky full of planet Earth, Hal Jordan and Oliver Queen discuss going to the baseball game next week. It's nice because it's a nice moment between two old friends, but also Hal's confidence that they will be alive next week to go to the game. It's just another day. It's just another day at the office. That's the thing with these events. Like, how much of it can you go through and does it still mean anything? Is it still a big deal? Uh, There's a part of that, though, that I thought was how the just trying to beef up Ollie. Yeah, confidence. Yeah, there's how... um, where he actually says take me out to the ball game there's hundreds of earth out there we could possibly die in the next 24 hours I'm not going to die I've got tickets to the game so that that was lovely Mm. that was really quite a nice scene Batman's brilliant line Booster you've got no idea how to talk to kids is hysterical yeah I like that a lot from a man who's been portrayed as being taciturn to the point of being obtuse the fact that Batman is pretty cool in this issue when you've removed all the ultra-paranoid stuff, is is really funny. I like the Green Arrow bit. What do you need me for? I just wanted to see if you'd show. Yeah, the Brave and the Bold. Yeah. that's uh, That was a nice moment as well. I mean, it's nice to see him as a leader and a tactician, but it's also nice to see him with a sense of humour. It's, it's nice to see him as Batman again. Yeah, because he's got quite a black sense of humour, appropriately enough. yeah in this one the subtext is interesting in this issue as well Johns is having the pre-crisis characters comment on the modern era of comics like we do hence this podcast Superboy can even be seen to be a petulant whiny fan as we've alluded to as we've gone through constantly rereading his old issues and bemoaning the way things currently are more obvious with Flashpoint than it was with this. Yeah, it's it's very definitely subtext here. It becomes text by the time we get to Flashpoint. Well, like I said before, this series has, has never been more relevant than it is now. Hmm. That's true. I mean, far more, I, I thought it far more interesting Superman 2. This is, this is a man who's used to acting. And yeah. Not fannying around in pointless introspection. And seeing his resolve as he realises he's been manipulated... Mm. is really quite cool as he realises what, what's going on and there's just lots of cool stuff in this issue isn't there? Yeah. that's essentially what this is it's a series of, of cool moments uh, there's lots of good stuff in the montage of Earth's not least the appearance of the Joker's daughter which I liked seeing uh, buried away there Yeah, I thought that was quite cool and it's quite interesting even here the Vertigo characters don't appear Mm. You know, the the Stonehenge scene would have been the perfect place to see John Constantine. 
Yeah. Hunter. But it, it didn't happen. He didn't move into the real DCU until... So the Vertigo universe is still separate? Up until Brightest Day. But even in this, when worlds are collided... Yeah, that's still... The Vertigo universe is still separate. Because oh, there's not even a Swamp Thing appearance, is there? There's not. I don't recall seeing a Swamp Thing appearance. We see Zatanna. Yeah. She's, she's walked the line between... She straddles that line, doesn't she? She can go between worlds. Yeah. Because she's a Zatanna. Uh, Batman's tactical ability comes to the forefront in his plan. Brother I thinks Batman is trying to wipe his memory. Oh, middle of... Ah, uh, middle page has just come out of the comic. Oh, no. What a bummer. I'm glad you've got an omnibus. Uh, but in what Batman's actually doing is covering for Mr. Terrific, who is invisible to technology. Yeah. Useful guy to have yeah. when you're trying to take down a technology-based villain. So that was quite impressive. Uh, and then the back half of the issue... Ooh, Psycho Pirate. Yeah, it's Black Adam putting his hand through Psycho Pirate's head. I thought that was a bit much. Yeah, but strangely satisfying... Yeah, especially when Power Girl says, was that necessary, Adam? And he's like, absolutely. Yeah. And they're like, he's a good guy now, and I, th- I think he's on his own side. I think all the way through Crisis on <coughs> Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis, he's always been prancing around, and Black Adam doing that is just pretty satisfying. Especially seen as there were members of the team who didn't want to release him from the tower. Yeah. So that, that kind of justifies them. It is a large and, and quite epic battle. And then Superboy Primary appears... And um, he's he's just snapped. Perhaps more tragically, though, he's actually well aware of what he's doing. Hmm. So this isn't a psycho-pirate manipulation at this point. He actually says, no one needs know what I'm doing here. Yeah. So he's doing this now fully aware of his actions, which indicate he's clearly understanding that what he's doing now is wrong. He just doesn't care anymore. Hmm. So he really is the bad guy of the piece now, isn't he? Then you could once again argue that, was it this world that pushed him to be like this? I, I, I think, well, I suppose he could do. Psycho Pirate's something to do with it. Not anymore. No, no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, Psycho Pirate's out of the equation now, isn't yeah, he? He's just, yeah. had his head cr- just had his eyeball pop out. Yeah, well, the black Adam. he pushes the mask through his head. Yes, he does. It's, it was a little bit gross. I, I don't mind telling you. Um, the last third of the book is really frenetic. They are setting up Nightwing dying yes, so it. much. Yeah, to the point where actually not following through on that. Yeah. Kind of the same with the Blue Beetle story in Countdown. Not following through on the Nightwing death then renders a lot of this pointless. And some of the art doesn't work anymore either. Right. We'll get to that when we get to the next issue. But I would be interested to know at what point was it decided to spur Nightwing? And was Connor sacrificed instead of Nightwing? Because it's in the same issue. Yeah, or was Connor supposed to die as well? Right. Because the, it's not like they just swapped out the characters. No. Nightwing couldn't have done here what Connor does. Yeah. So was Connor not supposed to die? And the Batman brother I bit wouldn't have worked as much if it was meant to be Connor. Yeah, and arguably the end of the issue, at the end of issue 7 doesn't work as well. The bit where he's asking... Where he points the gun at Alex Luthor doesn't work oh, if, right, it's, right, if right. it's Connor. Yeah. That doesn't work as well. At what point did they make the decision that Nightwing was going to live and Connor was going to die? Because, yeah, the setup that it's going to be Nightwing that goes... Happens in the same issue that the death happens. Yeah, and then obviously Nightwing's supposed to die in issue 7. 
So maybe Connor get Nightwing's supposed to die here. Right. Later on, we'll get to it in a minute. You've read it all as one, so it's all blurring into your memory. But that's what I want to, I wonder. And there's a, a Morrison level of fourth wall breaking where Alex is, is trying to find the perfect Earth and he reaches out he's to us. trying to find Earth Prime. Yeah, and which so is that's our us. world, yeah. So he's reaching out of the comic at us. And he looks at us and then reaches his hands out. Yeah. It doesn't work as well as, say, Animal Man. No. Because it, it was quite unclear. He actually looks at us and says, you. And that's what he's going for, he's isn't it? He's not directly looking at us, though. No, on that panel he isn't, so it doesn't quite work as well. It's only in the panel afterwards that he's, he's looking out at the reader. Yeah. So that's a Grant Morrison-esque level of of metatextual commentary. And Superboy Prime doesn't seem to understand what the word hypocrite means. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I didn't quite know what to make of that. No. Has he just not reached that level of education yet? But I thought he had a super brain. Is it not to kind of show that he's a bit... He's still a child? Possibly. Obnoxious. Yeah, that he, he doesn't quite understand what a hypocrite means. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, fast, frenetic, tragic, this issue has everything except pathos. Whilst Johns handles the large cast of characters really well, he amps the action up to 11 and manages to juggle all the subplots, the death of Connor Kent at the end is botched. Largely because it's not made terribly clear what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, now, as a series, it's relied on the reader poring over panels and stirring at the art to fully grasp the events, but Connor Kent doesn't seem to receive any worse an injury than a broken wrist. But when we next see him, he's beaten and bloodied and worse for were. Yeah. And so I, I didn't really buy his death, and it doesn't work on an emotional level. It doesn't work on an emotional level as much as Lois's death, which essentially has been seeded throughout the six issues so yeah. far, obviously. The Superboy one is, is very definitely a, a massive zig when you thought it was going to zap. Yeah. But because of that, it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, death should do. Death isn't always yeah. planned or a subplot or anything. But at the same time, in a story, you expect there to be some emotional resonance to it, and there wasn't, mm. which was a, a, bit, a bit of a shame. Still, this is probably the last intercompany crossover that was this engaging and actually yeah. worth reading, with some caveats that we'll come to later. Right, for some unknown reason, we have the Jim Lee cover for issue 7. Maybe Mark didn't have the Perez one. Uh, I suppose it's... But were we still buying these from, from there then? Uh, Had I not moved to mail order at this point? Oh, this, I don't remember. We must have done if I was still in primary school. Were you still in primary in 2006? Yeah, the way I remember. Yeah, you will have been. Yeah, the yeah. year I remember what year it was, was my year was the year. Right, okay, fair enough. Uh, it's as packed as the Perez cover, slew of green lanterns attacking Superboy Prime. Uh, Perez's cover shows what's happening over on Earth. It's another Easter egg fest. Yes, it is. Hey, look at Harley Quinn's old costume. Yeah, it's nice to see Harley Quinn again. Those Bane and... It's nice to see Harley Quinn fully dressed. It is. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, if one's a battle in space, one's a battle on Earth. Essentially, they're just showing flip sides of the same yeah. issue. There's, there's nothing wrong with either of them. No. For the first time, I think Jim Lee's done a cover, though, that does compete it's with... With Perez's, yeah, because essentially they're both the jam-packed same. battles. Yeah. So that's all that's, that's happening. 
Finale! As the Trinity mourned the dead, Connor Kent, Green Lantern reveals that every metahuman on the planet has been released by the society. If Metropolis falls, the world follows. Superboy Prime becomes ever more petulant as he demands Alex bring back Earth Prime, even though Alex keeps insisting he can't bring it back. This new Earth is all that there is. The heroes, meanwhile, are striking back. Superman 1 and 2 take down Doomsday, and after that, there is a reunion for the Justice Society. Superman 1 has bigger problems and moves towards Alex, preventing him from killing Power Girl and finally accusing him of knowing that Lois would die. Alex still believes himself to be the only hero in a world of villains. Superboy Prime still doesn't cur and blasts them all with his heat vision. Picking his way through the bodies, he targets Wonder Girl, but before he can do any permanent damage, Bart Allen emerges from the Speed Force, dressed in his grandfather's outfit. Superboy Prime is bored of Flash and decides to fly right through Oa. A speed of light burst should cause the planet to explode and thus will initiate a new Big Bang. It's up to the Green Lantern Corps to stop him. All those that can fly do, pursuing the wayward sun, but he's too fast. As he approaches Oa, the Green Lantern Corps erects a 300-mile wall of pure willpower to stop him, but the petulant child still insists this world has dictated his actions and kills a number of the Corps. He's about to do the same to Guy Gardner, but Superman 1 and 2 have a plan. On Earth, Alex also throws a strop and blasts Batman. The charge is intercepted by Nightwing, who throws himself in front of his surrogate father. A seriously pissed-off Batman approaches Alex as Alex tries the old We're not so different, you and I, Gambit. Batman punches him. Lying on the floor, Alex is shocked when Batman pulls a gun and points it at Alex's head. He cocks the pistol. Wonder Woman tells Batman Alex isn't worth it, and Batman says he knows. Suddenly, the building around them collapses, seemingly crushing Alex as Wonder Woman pulls Batman to safety. But what of Nightwing? Elsewhere, Superman 1 and 2 take on Superboy Prime. The fight takes a turn for the supremely bloody as the Supermans push Superboy Prime through Krypton's red sun, falling to Mogo, a sentient planet on the other side. Superboy Prime lets loose with all that he has, bloodily beating upon Superman 2 and trash-talking Superman 1. The battle is not in their favour, but Superman 1 rises to the challenge, smashing the bejesus out of Superboy Prime before succumbing to the kryptonite himself. It's all over by the epilogue. The Green Lantern Corps locks Superboy Prime up in a cage of pure lantern power as Power Girl tends to Superman 2. He tells her of Lois and slowly passes away, his last vision of he and Lois when they were young. As the Earth turns, we see a new DC Universe. A new Blue Beetle, same old Booster Gold. A new Green Lantern, perhaps, and a new Flash that is also the old Flash, Jay Garrick, be the only one left with speed powers. Alex Luthor survives, still plotting. That is, until the Joker electrocutes him, acid scars his face, and then shoots him in the head. All thanks to this world's Lex Luthor. Who's stupid now? The Trinity are all taking time off to regroup. Superman's powers will take time to recharge, and Bruce is building a better Batman from the ground up. Wonder Woman will also take some time off to find out who Diana is. And, on Oa, Superboy Prime is kept in a quantum containment cell. Fifty Green Lanterns on watch at all times. Superboy Prime has drawn an S on his naked chest in his own blood. He smiles, and the red eyes of evil glow evilly. He's been in worse prisons than this, and he's always gotten out. Ooh, wow, big crossover that doesn't have an ending. No. Who saw that coming? <laughs> well, it does spiral off into other things, doesn't it? It does. It's, setting, yeah, up, oh, go on. it's setting up who's Diana Prince, it's setting up... It's setting up one year later. Well, 
I guess, yeah. Doesn't it? Because that's like, that's, they've gone away for a year now. 52 have... takes place in that year, doesn't it? Yeah. That's my ultimate problem, with one year later. Why? What's the point of it? Nothing, ultimately. Exactly. <laughs> what they're doing is, they just don't want to tell what happened in that year, so they're skipping it and letting someone else tell it. Pretty much. Yeah. So, well, you can, you can read 52 for what happens in a year. And it's nice that you turn the page and there's a planet of the apes ad! Yeah. Which I thought was quite good. Uh, the opening page with Superman 2 realising he's made a serious error in judgement is really quite affecting. Even Batman's line, this never happens again, we learn from it, sums up the themes of the series. Sadly, I don't think DC did learn from this. Yeah. But you, lovely listener, must be the judge of that yourself. The two-page splash that follows is a mess, in my opinion. You don't agree, do you? Um, I do, and I don't. Uh, it, the foreground's okay, a tad muddy. The background looks like not only was it not inked in time, but that somebody inadvertently splashed red ink all over it. It's very indistinct, and this is one of the more notable changes in the omnibus, in that this page is finished off properly. Yeah. Proper colouring, proper inking, everything. Do you think that's what it was? They just didn't finish the inking job? It could be. But what I like about it is, on this, it's a big fight scene on par with Perez. Whereas in the original issue, you get quite a clear distinction between foreground and background. Yeah. And it's nice seeing pencils. It is, when they're not covered by red ink. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they should have just left it alone. It's very definitely jarring. Yeah. It's nice seeing the Tallyman back. It is nice seeing the Tallyman back. Uh, but yeah, no, I can see the problems with it. It's just, I think it makes it look a bit more distinct. Mm. See, I, I do, you're kind of right. The double page spread in the omnibus is very busy. And the because of the lack of ink in the comic one isn't. But then because the bottom half is fully inked and the top half isn't, it's, it looks... It's lopsided. Yeah, it doesn't look busy enough. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's nice that they finished it for the omnibus. There's yeah. a part of me that's a bit miffed that you've spent as much money as you've spent on this to not get a complete product. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know what you can do about that at this point. Uh, Superboy Prime still can't tell the heroes from the villains. Oh, hang about, there's a minor change when we've just turned the page, though. There's a minor change here. The Bane scene, they've added some dialogue to Bane. Wow, I'm, I'm so happy that they added. I finally know who I am. I am Ben. I break people. Wow. Yeah. Great. I'm, I'm glad they added that. Yeah, exactly. What, did he not know who he was before? I don't know. Has he just become a, a character they should have only used once and now they have to just keep repeating the same infamous cover? Yeah. I mean, and there is that thing as well. That they've not made a point of pointing out who anyone else is in this story. Exactly. Why feel the need to point out I am yeah. Ben? I am Doomsday. I break people. Yeah, so it's an addition that makes no sense. And we yeah. just spotted as we turn the page. Speaking of Doomsday, that is a great scene. Oh, they've got rid of the zzz on that panel. Oh, yeah, they got rid of the sound effects on the bottom of that panel as well, so the art makes more sense, which That's is... That's a great double-page spread we get up to. Yeah. Wait, what was... Ah, right, right. Yeah, I just have an advert, though. You've just not got that advert. Um, Superboy Prime is still struggling with the heroes and villains. Something he makes abundantly clear from his actions later. And there is a, a darkness to this story that really is the culmination of DC since since the crisis. Hmm. And Johns is really tapping into that. I mean, sadly, he was also a major contributor to that. Yeah. But in this story, at least that's the point. Yeah, he kind of lost sight of what he was talking about. Yeah. 
Um, in contrast, Jerry Ardway's two-page spread of Superman 1 and 2 fighting Doomsday is all kinds of awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of them. Superman. I like that the Earth 2 Superman just basically breaks his arm. Mm. Which is great. And then gets him in a headlock. That fight would have gone down much differently if they had that team, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Boof! This is something they did again in uh, New Krypton. Right. They thought, ooh, Doomsday killed one Superman. What happens when all the Supermen fight him? And, uh, do you not get the feeling that with Doomsday they just go into that well too much now and they just left him alone? That was my problem. I just said with Bane. Yeah. It's like they served the purpose for the story they were created for. Leave them. Yeah. Because everything they do with them now is just rehash, isn't it? It's just yeah. reheated meatloaf. Stop it. Stop bringing Doomsday and, and uh, Bane back. Uh, was Power Girl really like a daughter to Superman 2 and Lois? I don't... I don't remember that being the case. And I think Michael Bailey said to me, no, that's not right. Right. So basically the entire story hinges on that relationship. A false history. Yeah, that didn't exist. Yeah. And that's ultimately kind of one of my problems with it. He's twisted a relationship, though, to make it fit this story. Well, I guess if you don't know that, it still works. Yeah. I mean, it probably works better by not knowing that. Yeah, it probably. I mean, that's well, that's the point, is if you're only reading this, you'd be confused as hell, but it wouldn't make any difference to you. Mm. So, so it works all right. Panel changer. Was there a panel change? Uh, with the heroes charging. Oh, yeah, it's the heroes charging. They've, they've changed some of the artwork, yeah, haven't Jimenez they? Yeah, Jimenez has redrawn it. Has he completely redrawn it? Yeah. It's a different artist. Right, so it is. The but only of... that one panel. Yeah. Okay. Why has he done that? Because it doesn't seem that different to me. No. To be honest I mean, with you. It wasn't that necessary either. No, it's, that's, that's an odd change. But alright, yeah, you're right, it is It is completely redrawn and a completely different panel. Alright, fair enough, he's, he's redrawn the top panel of that page for, for some reason. It's really, It really is a shame in this issue that DC had to rely on that most famous of comic creators, Many Hands, for this issue, as the art varies from page to page. The Jerry Ordway splash is great. The panel that we've just talked about that they've changed in the omnibus is the, it's a galvanising hero moment and it's just not great in the comic. It, I would argue it's not much better in the omnibus. To be fair on this, the art changes aren't as jarring as Final Crisis. No, that's true. And if you look at Jimenez, Jimenez's art for that changed panel is better. But it's, you've just got to wonder why he bothered, because he's not changed it enough to justify changing it. Yeah, but if Perez can do, what was it, 12 double-sized issues? Yeah. Then surely Jimenez can do 7 double-sized issues. Uh, evidently not. But even um, Ivan Reese would have been yeah. a, a better, maybe not better, but he's, sh- he's shown <coughs> in this series that he can do a six issue miniseries a double size special and fill in for the main artist mm, and he pulled it off in did he do, Black, did he do Blackest Night yeah, he did do Blackest Night because yeah. that was that was really quite good stuff uh, we've mentioned before that the violence level in this series is ridiculous but one of the main takeaways from this issue is the violence yeah. a lot of people only remember that about this mm. so it's worth mentioning again we are not used to seeing a super boy beating people up to the extent that he has blood dripping from his hands. Whether and that's the point or not. Whether that's the point or not, there is a certain level of, yes, we get that this is the point, the psycho pirate's been manipulating stuff, blah, blah, blah. Now there's a level of gratuity to it 
that I think they're revelling in. I, I like to think of it as he's been pushed to the point where he's become what he was fighting against. Well, it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. But it's, there's still a feeling that... Uh, you know. Just because there's a point to it doesn't mean that it's necessary. Yeah. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah. Uh, there's an extra page in the omnibus of Batman fighting Darkseid that isn't in the actual Darkseid. comic. Uh, oh, Deathstroke, Deathstroke right. sorry. Yeah, that page there isn't Which is, in. It's, it's Deathstroke going, I did this all for you, Batman. Yeah, and it's Deathstroke's a weird character because apparently he's awesome and infallible and uh, there was a story before this where he beat the entire Justice League. But here... Yes, there was. Batman has no problem taking him out. So he can defeat the entire Justice League, but not Batman. It was Identity Crisis. Right, yeah. His motivation is really woolly. Why did you do it, Deathstroke? I did it because of you. (laughs) Well, does that page add anything as well? No. Does that... So why... I don't... Some of the changes I just don't get. I don't get why they've added an extra page in there. It seems a bit silly. Maybe it was in there, but they cut it out due to... Possibly, and then they just put it back in the actual issue. All right, fair enough. Um, All right, this is where I think the big change in the story took place. Nightwing takes the hit for Batman that Alex Luthor just shot matter, antimatter, whatever at him or whatever. The art heavily implies that Nightwing is dead here. Robin rushes over to him, crying. Batman actually says, "No one else dies." Yeah. Implying that Nightwing is dead. And if you leaf on a couple more pages, there's a shot there in the middle of the scene where Batman points the gun at Alex's head. Look at the amount of blood around Nightwing's head and Robin's reaction to it. Yeah. That is very definitely Nightwing is dead. Yeah. And so, what you have here, when he points the gun at Alex's head and cocks it, preparing to blow his head off... That doesn't work as well if Nightwing isn't dead. What has made Batman snap here? Does he believe he's dead? That would be the implication, but that's not made clear anywhere. They've kind of changed their mind about killing him, but not actually made it clear that Batman doesn't think he's dead. Yeah. Which would work if they'd kind of said something, but they don't. So it's very muddled because of that last-minute change. And then Nightwing isn't even seen again... Until the very last page where he's on the boat going, Hi, Bruce, we're going on a cruise, hey! Yeah, well, he's not even, like, in yeah. a cast or anything. No, the last-minute change, though, just doesn't work. Yeah. Because then you've got this whole scene of, of Bruce Batman pointing a gun at Alex Luthor's head and he's going to shoot him. All they'd have to do is, like, add in one line of dialogue. Yeah. Saying, why'd you kill him? And then later on, I'm, I'm all right. Or a line of dialogue from Robin. In that panel where Robin is supposedly crying... On the page where you've got the... He's pointing the gun. You had a line of dialogue to Robin there saying, he's in a bad way, I need to get into hospital. And that would explain... You could actually do that there because you don't see Robin and Nightwing again. Yeah. Batman, Wonder Woman shows up, says he isn't worth it, Batman disappears with Wonder Woman. Because the implication there is when they bring the, the wall down that Nightwing and Robin are still there. Oh, yeah. So if you add a line of dialogue to that shot of Robin, he's in a bad way, I'm going to get into a hospital or to a doctor or whatever, yeah. that explains why they just suddenly disappear, as opposed to being crushed under a brick wall. Yeah, I never noticed that. So, it's, that's botched. That's something that could have done with clarifying in the omnibus, and they don't, do they? Even if they did kill Nightwing off, though, they just killed off Tim Drake. Yeah, well. they just dropped a building on them both. Yeah. So, 
They obviously they must survive because Alex did. Yes, yes. Well, Alex does survive until a little bit later on. Uh, speaking of the scene where Batman points the gun at Alex's head, there was some controversy over this moment. A lot of people thought Batman shot Alex, but the gun was empty. Whereas the intent, and this is what I got from it, I didn't get that from it, I got from it that Batman was cocking the pistol, right? but he didn't actually fire it. Why, is there a sound effect in the... Well, in your version, there's no sound effect. They remove the sound effect. Now, you can argue that maybe that sound effect isn't the sound effect of cocking a pistol. So maybe the sound effect could have been changed. But in your omnibus, it just makes it look like he's pointing the gun at him and not doing anything. Yeah. So both of them don't quite work and don't quite clarify what the scene is about. Because if Nightwing is alive or dead, this the, the removing of the sound effect just muddies the water. It, it, I think it just shows tension of will Batman do it. Yeah, I mean, but if Batman is aggrieved over the death or supposed death of Dick Grayson, this would work better if he changed the sound effect, not completely delete it. Yeah. It's, it just seems like there's a lot of wishy-washy constant alterations to this to to justify the fact that they've changed that Nightwing dies. Yeah, even if Batman did shoot the gun, if they went for Nightwing dying, it would still make sense for Batman to pull the trigger. Or cock the pistol, at he, least. He shot vampires and dolphins before. Why can't he shoot the person who just killed his son? Right. See, I would get Batman cocking the pistol and thinking about it, but not doing it. I don't buy Batman pulling the trigger. I buy it, but only if they did kill Nightwing. Right. Okay, fair enough. But I, I think it read okay in the original. Mm. And I think removing the sound effect muddies it slightly. But I just, I never really, because I didn't know there was a sound effect there, to be honest. So I just thought it's that tension of will he or, will, or won't it. Yeah, will he do it? Or is Wonder Woman talking him out of it? Or does he not need talking out of it? Yeah. So, and it's, it's only like two extra panels, so it's not so much that it is. Yeah. Feel like in some ways being removed? Yeah, it's far more egregious that they just drop a building on Nightwing and Robin. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, the Superman 1 and 2 fight against Superboy is really quite impressive. Mm. In that very visually splendiferous Man of Steel kind of way, they hurtle through suns. In that kind of, they use Superman's powers and legacy against him. Yeah. Uh, uh, but not just that, it's seeing uh, beings of this power level cutting loose. They're hurling through suns, they're crashing into planets, they're yeah. pawling off on each other, they're firing heat vision at each other. Like I said, the, the violence level is a bit gratuitous, but we really get a knockdown, drag-out fight of this kind. Mm. Because there are very few characters on Superman's power level. Uh, you know, the excessive blood that the creators so loved is a bit out of place, but Perez's artwork is brilliant here, because we don't really get to see that. Character-wise, though, this is important to the story. It's And it's such a great Superman speech about how Superboy doesn't know what it takes to yeah. win the S-Shield. It's so relevant to today's Superman. Yeah, and it, it's Superboy still being deluded into his actions being heroic, or yeah. thinking that they're heroic. And it, it is showing how some people can really delude themselves into doing something they think is right, mm. despite all evidence to the contrary. Uh, and yeah, and Superman's little speech about the S, this isn't, it's not about where you were born or what powers you have or what you were on your chest, it's about what you do. Yeah. Which is, it's, that's a nice little bit. Mm. And I like that he rips the S off Superboy's chest, like yeah. you're not worthy to wear this. Mm. That's a nice touch. Very symbolic, especially given the ending where he draws one on in blood. Yeah. So that's all very, very good. I like that as well. That's visually quite interesting. 
uh, the swarm of kryptonite that is there almost kills Superman and sets up one year later which will follow it took him a year to recharge essentially the one year later stuff but Superman 2 dying is quite touching especially the last panel apparently Perez had to fight for that panel the bit with Superman and Wonder Woman yeah the Lois Lane even. yeah with the bit with Superman and Wonder Woman in the stars I don't know what the fight involved. Right. Why they wouldn't let him have that, I don't know, but it, it is a lovely panel. And with that death of Superman, the death of the Golden Age? Yeah, but essentially. This is a new DC going forward. Yeah. Essentially. And it's, it, 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 that's the last page of the story. Pretty much. Isn't it? Everything else is set up for the new era of DC that we're going into. Yeah. With the exception of the Gotham City stuff. Were, Which is two payoffs in one. Yeah, I didn't quite know what to make of this. The pe- the Joker, at the behest of the Lex Luthor, who has been wearing the battle suit. Yeah, but he looks fat. Does he? Yeah, he looks a lot. He looks like the fatter Luthor of the post-crisis John Byrne era. I think it's just angles, to be honest. All right, okay. Because he's, he's annoyed about Alexander saying, "Oh, you're stupid." Yeah, throughout the entire story. I mean, my problem with this is. The Joker being controlled by anyone is a little unusual. It's not like the Joker does that a lot. Yeah, that he was being controlled. I got more... You know the guy who wouldn't let you in in his club? He's going to be around here at this time. Right, so basically he's just pointed the Joker in the right direction. Yeah. And then Lex has just stayed in the shadows and let the Joker do what he was doing. Yeah. Right, okay, because ultimately... Oh, no, 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 he does show up, then the Joker shoots him. Yeah, I, um, I didn't get that they were under control. I got that they were just there for the same reason. Alright, so the Joker's not above teaming up with somebody when there's the, they've both got um, the same outcome. Well, Joker and Lex Luthor have always had that kind of... That kind of Joker-Luthor team. Yeah. Not quite Luthor Brainiac, but... Yeah, alright, fair enough. That's, it's a nice page, art-wise. Is that Hardway again? Uh, I think that's Hardway again, because it, it does actually look really, really yeah, nice. Yeah, it is. How did Alex get out from under the brick wall, then? I don't know. Yeah, that's never explained, is it? I, I I actually really like it as a story point of view. It's, it's much better than Alexander Luthor sneaking off into the night to return again in another day. To return another day. Yeah, this is very definitely, this will not happen again. Yeah, he's been de- very definitely killed. I mean, my problem with it was burning a beloved Silver Age character with acid and then shooting him through the head. It, it kind of like was having Dagwood rape Blondie. Was he a beloved Silver Age character? Alexander Luther was a Silver Age character, wasn't I he? I thought he just showed up in Crisis. And no, he was, he was a character. He is from the Earth where he is the only hero. Because he's born... He's no. from the Earth with the Justice... No, he's The not. Injustice Society, isn't he? No. Oh. That, that Luthor, yeah. I know what you're on about, the one who fought the Injustice Society, he dies at the beginning of Crisis on Infinite Earths and they rocket the sun... Yeah just out into the matter and the an- and the monitor picks him up and raises him. See, I thought Alexander Luther was the only good guy on his planet, which is why that's turning his dad. evil here was... That's why people didn't like that. Yeah, because it... Am I mixing up bloody Luthers? Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> is the son of the Luther you're thinking about. Right. Because the opening of Christ and Infinite Earths mirrors Superman's origin. It does. And they rocket this Luthor out and the monitor picks him up and he's, he's raised on the monitor's satellite. Right, okay. See, I think I thought that was the Alex Luthor of the planet where there were no other... He was the only hero. No, that's his dad. Right, so I'm confusing my Luthors. Yeah. There's too many Earths. It's very confusing. All right, fair enough. Um, 
this, these final two pages here, I get why Superman's taking some time off. Because yeah. he's pretty much powerless after all that kryptonite landed near him and he needs to recharge. Why exactly is Bruce going on a cruise and Diana taking some time off? Batman is because of how paranoid he got and he didn't trust anyone. He is trying to re-become Batman. Reconnect. Yeah, he right. lost sight of who Batman is so he's going to recreate it. And, right. and he's taking Dick and Tim with him. That's all the Morrison stuff in 52, yeah. Right. Which will pay off. Okay. Wonder Woman? No idea about Wonder Woman. Alright, oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe, can you not agree with the same Wonder Woman? She She's became, going off to find out who she is. She became too much like Wonder Woman warrior. Too much warrior woman. Yeah. Right. Okay, fair enough. Alright. Um, one of the biggest changes to the story from comic book to omnibus is the double page spread that shows the entire DC Universe series are right but it pales in comparison to the two-page spread that George Perez replaced it with in the Omnibus version, mm. doesn't it? That that one in the Omnibus is much better. It's kind of too much comic. dead space on the original. Yeah, it's just not as impressive as what George Perez has led down, though. Yeah. But it's Perez. And there's the Creeper! Yeah. So the Creeper's back, apparently. And then, of course, the non-ending, where Superboy Prime is still alive and very, very insane. Well, is, is that that's just John setting up his Sinestro Core War? So is Superboy Prime involved in Sinestro Core War? Yeah. Do we have Sinestro Core War? Yeah. Have I read Sinestro Core War? Yes. Right. I don't remember it, so I may have to... Have I got them all on the shelf? Or? You have. Alright, so I may have to reread them then. We have up to Blackest Night. Well, I liked Blackest Night as well, didn't I? Mm. Well, that was okay. Uh, the final issue ties all of the plot threads up. This being a comic book, it also points to the future, but leaves plenty of new plot threads left to pull on in a whole <laughs> slew of new comics being released in the wake of this series, most of which do receive adverts in the back of the issue. Blue Beetle, Checkmate, Shadow Pact, Ion, The Spectre, Secret Six. Any of them still being published? No. No? Okay, so ultimately... Blue Beetle had his own title for a while in the New 52. So is the New 52 Blue Beetle still Jamie Reyes? Yeah. Right, okay. That's that's fair enough. Uh, in many ways, this is the biggest problem with it, though. After reading God knows how many issues in, to- in order to reach the conclusion, said conclusion is botched by the very nature of the comic's form, or the comic's form as it is nowadays. Whilst the series as a whole works magnificently well, it doesn't have a beginning or an ending. Rather, as Rob Kelly put it on a recent episode of Fire and Water, it's here to just perpetuate its own universe. Granted, these criticisms are as valid for any big crossover of this type, including Crisis on Infinite Earths, but Infinite Crisis often felt like it was too beholden to Crisis, and arguably the story threads it's tugging on go all the way back to that series. Still, in and of itself, I did enjoy reading this this time, even with the problems. I felt it worked on its own merits, with the caveat that a new fan picking this up today wouldn't understand a word of it. Yeah. And even now, it's a relic. This DC Universe doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. What did you think of rereading it again? And what was the difference between talking about it with me and talking about it with Michael Baylor? With Michael Baylor, we only really covered the omnibus. Right. We delved into the story did you? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, reading it again this time, it's uh, so much more enjoyable because with New 52 and Jeff Johns being so drastically different to this period of time, mm. this was really quite enjoyable. And I think, really, you're kind of deluding yourself if you think that DC will write, will publish a self-contained, easy-to-jump-on-board <laughs> yeah. 
story, but this you could argue that this story isn't about the universe or the multiverse. It's it's Superman and Lois Lane's story. Mm. It's about all the things that we've discussed as we've gone through the show. It's about how much security is too much security. Yeah. It's about what is the nature of a hero. It's about what is the DC universe of yesterday versus today. It's about is the world a more violent place now or do we just report that it's a more violent place now? Yeah. It's about keeping your populace in line with news reports that only show you one side of the argument. It's about breeding fear. Yeah. It is in many ways more relevant now than it was when it was published, like you said. But even then, Crisis on Infinite Earths was this of its time. Yeah. This is, you know, Final Crisis is this of its time. Convergence. So they're all the same thing, just showing how comics have changed and what they are now. Hmm. I think you're right. I do think it's deluding yourself to think they'll publish something that has a beginning, a middle and end anymore. But this is as close to it... As you're going to get. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm currently reading Justice League, Jeff Johns' one, and right. that doesn't end. Yeah. Each issue spirals into the next issue. Each story arc spirals into the next story arc. Yeah. That's... Um, after reading so much Jeff Johns of post-Flashpoint... Mm. It gets it's, a bit tiresome. It does, but here, yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah. I've been playing devil's advocate, Yeah, as we must. So the series concludes, as with all serial narratives of this nature, it doesn't really end. As we've just mentioned, Infinite Crisis would lead into one year later, and the DC Universe would not really capitalise on the ideas put forth here that the DCU would become a shiny and more optimistic place. A number of long-time fans felt betrayed by this ending and this story, and their issues are valid. Altering elements of the crisis story, changing characterization to make the story work, and making Alex Luthor as conniving and as manipulative as his other Earth counterparts, many took as a slap in the face. Making Superboy Prime a homicidal nut job and a thinly disguised attack on the very fans who were buying this material was another blow. In and of itself, though, and taking this story in its own right, Infinite Crisis works. It was the last time that DC or Marvel made a crossover of this type where it all came together. And as we've talked about, as we've gone through it, I think a large part of that is down to the creative team working on these series of books, deciding that they weren't just going to churn out drivel for the sake of making a book. There are elements that were changed at the last minute, Nightwing's fate being the most obvious. There are times, if you read interviews with Dan DiDio, where he didn't seem to understand exactly what the end of Infinite Crisis meant for the DC Universe, which is upsetting when you consider that he's the head of the company. Yeah. But as a whole, taken on its own, it's a sprawling and expansive epic with far-reaching consequences. That the DC Comics post-Infinite Crisis didn't really learn from this isn't the fault of Infinite Crisis. The end of Infinite Crisis promises a brighter, more hopeful DC. But the lessons that DC really took from this was that over-the-top violence sells. Yes, Infinite Crisis was incredibly over-the-top in its violent content, perhaps to the point where it stopped being affecting. But that was one of the points of the story. Had DC followed through and not been this afterwards, then maybe Infinite Crisis would be more fondly recalled by all segments of fandom. Yeah. Not just a little bit. But for the most part, I was I was quite impressed by how deep it was and how well it held up. I think the best way to read it is in the omnibus. Yeah. Because you don't get any of how 
rich it is if you just read the main issues. Yeah. Which I mean, is a major problem with it. It is. That is, as we've pointed out before, it is a failure of the series itself. Mm. But you do get the option, though, that I would never have read Ralph Anagawa. Exactly. And reading it in the omnibus, you're like, actually, this is pretty damn good. Mm. So, okay. That's it, then, for uh, the second of our specials. Well, third, if you're counting these as two episodes rather than one. Next time, we'll be back at the end of December with our usual in-between Christmas, New Year celebratory show, Mm. which we just kind of make up as we go along, don't we? And after that, uh, we'll be back in January with two episodes covering The Long Halloween. Yep. And then in February with two episodes covering Dark Victory. So it's lobe and sail all the way, baby. And then after that, we may do Captain America White. Because right. it'll be out by the time... I'll believe it when it's in your hands. Yeah, okay. When it's in your hands, you'll actually <laughs> believe it. All right, fair enough. Thank you for joining us for these two special episodes covering Infinite Crisis. We hope you have a very nice Christmas and a glorious... We'll, we'll be back before New Year, won't we? we so we hope you have a very Merry Christmas and uh, we will see you at the end of December. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. Episodes drop intermittently. It's hosted by Andrew and Michael Leyland. All sound clips and music used in the show are for review purposes only, so don't sue us because we talk over them, so it's not like people can rip them off. Correspondence to the show can be sent to heykidscomics at virginmedia.com, which is the email address, and you can Facebook friend me on Hey Kids as the first name and comics as the surname. 